Hello, everyone. We're so excited to have you here today. My name is Adrienne Lloyd, and I'm the host of the Women in Healthcare podcast with MGMA. And I'm honored to have Rhonda Buckholtz, who is a dear colleague and friend of mine, um, join us. She has been in healthcare a little over 30 years, working largely in the revenue cycle, compliance, leadership space. She is a John Maxwell leadership coach and also is the National Advisory Board President, um, incoming president for the AAPC, um, who works a lot with Revenue Cycle, great resource for your Revenue Cycle coding teams as well. And I'm just so honored to have Rhonda here. She, Her current role also is she is the Chief Compliance Officer for Vision Innovation Partners. Um, and so Rhonda, just thank you so much for taking time to join us today. And I can't wait to just hear and share more of your story. We're going to talk a little bit about healthcare quality and innovation, and also just kind of your own leadership journey and advice that you may have for others along the way. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here with you today. Absolutely. No, I know it's always um, always busy, so it's great to have, have you and have the time. Um, so I'd love to just kind of start off and, you know, really hear from you. What are some of the challenges that um, in the compliance and regula regulation space, you know, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing and how do you um, think about innovation and what challenges maybe do you see with innovation in this space? And I know we were just talking before we jumped on officially here about um, some personal stories we both had in the healthcare, um, you know, quality or um, kind of challenges in healthcare quality along the way. Um, so I'd love to just kind of start off with that and go from there. Yeah, I, I absolutely. Uh, so, you know, I absolutely love working in compliance. And uh, when people find that out about me, they usually laugh because uh, I'm not typically a rule follower, right? I'm an innovator. Like, I like to to forge ahead. and uh, But I really like compliance work because um, I think that through compliance, there's a lot of things that we can drive and and change for culture. And I think that that's really important for us. Uh, I also like the aspect of being able to uh, really help not only the doctors, but our employees and, and ultimately the patients, because you're going to see a lot, I think, coming out in, in the next couple of years on quality of care. And so we see a lot of the initiatives that are coming out from the government. And most often, those actually don't even cover quality of care. Uh, since COVID, we've seen a huge increase in complaints against doctors that go straight to the board, uh, to their medical licensing board. And they're usually customer service related things that don't belong there. But then I'm in the position of having to then defend and help my doctors uh, because it goes on their license. You have to, they have to investigate every single one of them. Uh, so the culture in healthcare has changed um, a lot, uh, especially since COVID. So the increase of complaints I read in one study has been like 60% higher since 2020, um, which is, is just um, uh, crazy. But for me, um, from a compliance standpoint, because I'm in healthcare leadership uh, for, for a long time, um, and for me, if you can create a good culture, then you get people that will follow and and you get people to be compliant and you get good work places where you feel comfortable, you can speak up, you can make changes, right? Everybody feels comfortable and, and, and confident. And, and I like that because uh, early on in, in leadership, uh, you know, I was taught to just make the decisions and take your heart out of it. 
All right, you leave everything at the door. You don't bring anything in with you. And, and so you were taught to make those um, tough decisions uh, without really thinking about the human factor. And what I, what I really discovered, is, and especially for me, doesn't work. Uh, you need to have empathy, right? Somewhere empathy needs to, and it doesn't make you a weak leader. And right. so for me, especially uh, kind of as I grew into to leadership and, and stopped questioning myself, um, I realized that I, I very much empathy played into who I was as a human being uh, and that I needed to be able to include that more in my leadership decisions. And, and, and that helps, I think, a lot when you can understand what someone's going through uh, might not change the outcome, right? Uh, right. But it, at least it gives you common ground and it gives you starting ground and, and a, an ability to, to kind of move forward on it. I was at um, a great uh, healthcare compliance enforcement conference in DC earlier this year, I guess not earlier this year, late last year. Um, and there were a lot of people from, from the government, from different officials and overwhelmingly, it came back to patient care and quality of care with a lot of their initiatives. And so I think that that all kind of ties in together for us. No, I think that's so huge. And I know you and I have talked about this over the over the years as well. And I see it time and time again when I'm working with leaders. And I know you, as you work as a, a coach and consultant, you see the same thing too, as well as in your own practices. But um, you know, I think we just, the leaders really try to take on so much and most, you know, all of us get in healthcare because we're so passionate. We want to see great quality outcomes. We want to see efficiencies. We want to see, you know, margins to be able to generate like revenue. So we have the latest and greatest technology and can pay the, the staff and physicians appropriately and all of those things. But I think a lot of times it really comes down to, um, you know, that, that vulnerability and that transparency of like, where are we? Where are you trying to go and engaging the team in that? And I think it's even more important today. You know, some of the groups I've worked with have, you know, their good news is staffing has rebounded quite a lot. And so most groups are not having the significant gaps in staffing that they were, you know, kind of during the height and right after COVID, but they have a lot of new staff. And when you have a lot of new team members or new physicians, you know, really getting them to the being in that core alignment of like what is most important, you know, the, the needs of the patient come first. This is how we take care. This is how we communicate with each other. You know, it's so important to do that. And I think a lot of times people are just right, you know, rightfully so. They're trying to go through the mechanics of getting the operations moving, staffing, you know, plugging the holes. But it really is like those moments we can you know, as leaders bring our teams together and and really have those conversations of like, hey, this went wrong. Like, how do we keep this from happening? Or, you know, this isn't really at the level we want it to be. Like, how do we get there? And um, I don't know, are there any scenarios that you've had where you've kind of been going through those discussions with your teams or the groups you've worked with? Yeah, I mean, so many because uh, healthcare has become so overregulated and it's just been crazy. And, and so a lot of times, we teach to the technologies that we have to use and we don't teach the why. And when you don't know the why, then you miss so much. So, uh, you know, most practices that I work with, uh, both at, at VIP and, and when I do consulting, use online check-in or kiosks or something to that, to that effect because it does so many beneficial transactional items for us. Uh, but when people don't understand the why, you get those prompts up on your screen. So let's say you have your, your patient. I was patient this morning, right? I go to the, to the kiosk at my doctor's office. Um, you know, 
especially being the first of the year, you're going to get those prompts that come up. Um, all of the systems give you a warning that comes up and an alert. Uh, one example that I use because I see it happen all the time is it'll give you a warning that says patient is a managed care, right? It has managed care. Uh, employees just click through it because they don't even know what managed care is. And we're so busy teaching to the technologies that we forget to explain the whys, um, right? And it's the same when you get back through to the clinical care uh, and those side of things uh, as well. And so um, it's, it's really kind of trying to teach those employees to take that step back um, because everybody's still burnt out in healthcare uh, and, and just trying to get through the days, including the doctors and um, and reminding them about the patient experience and and the why of, hey, this is actually why we have to do these types of things. So one of my uh, most favorite doctors to work with uh, laughs at me because um, he would probably tell you that he does not think he's my favorite, but he is. <laughs> um, so and, and, he, and he is because he's he's driven, but he's reasonable. And so he's constantly moving. Uh, which is a target for me always because I need to know, right? Um, so he'll come to me and say, I'm going to start doing this. And I'll say, can we talk about that? Like, let's talk it through. And he laughs because he's like, that's your way of saying no. I'm like, no, no. Um, but right, I don't want to say no. I want to tell you how we can do it, but let's figure out. And, and we'll have those conversations where, and those I think are the funnest to have where you can debate and I'll say, okay, but let's look at it from the patient side of things and the patient experience. What does that look like for the patient? And so because we've been able to have those kind of good collaborations, we've been able to transform and change the way he's been delivering healthcare, which is just, it's it's been amazing and, and it's fun for me. Fantastic. I, I think that's the vision and the why. And then the other piece I would add to that that I've seen is the particularly related to technology or using like outside services or even different types of roles of personnel is I think it's you've got to be very intentional about looking at the process and like what is this this technology, this other solution going to serve? Like what role? And then how do the rest of our team members need to function around it? And some of it's you know, some of it's like creating, you know, Lean Six Sigma, you know, standard work or like the training. Some of it's that, but some of it's too is just really allaying the fears of like, you know, we're not bringing this in to like get rid of jobs or, I mean, there may be some impacts, but like overall, we're really trying to improve the process for the patient. We're trying to improve the quality, you know, data we're capturing or, you know, improve our billing or whatever that is. And, but helping the team not only think through that before you go and buy something and add it on, because as we know, getting, we were talking about this a little earlier too, we can dive into it, you know, getting technology to talk to each other. It's always right. <laughs> so, you know, really having that thought. More technology, more problems. <laughs> right. Awful yeah. process of like, do we really need this? And then is this the right technology? And then how do we fit the technology into what we want to have happen versus just, you know, adding it on top and having to work around it and kind of being a slave to it, if you will. I think particularly as, you know, AI continues to um, impact our space as something. Are you seeing um, AI kind of come into either the revenue cycle space or quality or, you know, your front desk areas or just even maybe these other like non-traditional type services? So we start to see a little bit of AI come into RevCycle with different offerings. Um, and, and I don't want to say it's true AI, uh, but it's AI-like. Um, and so there are some that, that are coming out uh, with those types of things. Um, 
the problem with with AI um, at a clinic level, at, at, right at the doctor level, is um, the PHI pieces of it. Most of the vendors are in beta, uh, and uh, they want to control the data. And as a healthcare provider, you got to be really careful with those beta agreements. We were just reviewing some not too long ago, and you have to really be careful because they're doing recordings uh, right, of the patient experiences. There's so many laws around um, consent for recording uh, of patients and each state varies. So you have to really do a lot, whether or not it's a two-party consent, some of them, right, or just a one party, it, it, it's it's a lot. So um, I think it's going to be a while before it really hits at least our smaller doctor's offices, right, with the with the standard. You might see it more in your epics and, and that type of thing. Uh, but uh, it's, it's I think it's going to take a while for it to actually hit us um, yeah. And especially like in the ophthalmology world with the smaller vendors and, and that type of thing. Um, Are there what, I, what I have been seeing a lot of, though, when we talk about technologies where we try to streamline and, and try to make things run more efficient for clinics, and even as we grow, is, is what I like to call knowledge gap. Because as soon as you standardize a process and you um, take it offsite or right, you consolidate it somehow, uh, when when that team stops doing that job, right, um, then they lose that knowledge. So let's let's use RevCycle as an, an example because it's just an easy one to use, um, right? You you decide you're gonna have consolidate RevCycle because it makes sense, uh, and it, and it does make sense. But you pull those people out of that practice, and now you have someone that can't answer billing questions, right? Um, now you have someone that when the front desk has a question about an insurance company, they don't know. They don't have someone to explain managed care to them. They don't have someone to explain all of that. And then as you get generational from that, right, as people transition in and out of that clinic that used to run independently, you continue to use lose that knowledge. And that knowledge gap uh, can really can really hurt the practice at the end of the day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's I think it it's more than the transactional impact too, right? It's like the pervasive. Mm -hmm impact to the team. And the I, I always talk about like the frustration moments, those moments when like they're doing things that aren't at the top of their licensure, they're doing, they're, they're having to ask those questions again. They're just feeling lost and feeling like they're not helping the patient in that moment because of some barrier. And I think it, it really is something that we kind of have to, I don't know if there's always a perfect solution for it, but um, definitely something we have to watch out for, but yeah, and I just think it's so important to look at things from a patient perspective when you're thinking through those types of things. Um, we'll use the, a call center as an example. Um, it should not take you 10 prompts to get to the department that you need to get to, right? Um, and and so you start to build these prompts. And then when you're building the prompts, uh, you're like, oh, wait, I want to sell these kinds of services. Let me route this first. And and you forget about the patient experience, but and and they're frustrated. Um, yeah. And so you have to, you really have to look at it from a patient perception. And it goes back to the kiosks. If you have a team that is now has two monitors in front of them to monitor your practice management system and your kiosk information, how are they supposed to greet that patient when they come in? And Plus when you do, too. right. <laughs> and when you don't greet that patient, uh, it's a bad experience for that patient from the second they walk through the door. Yeah, I think that's really key. And I think it'll be an ongoing 
discussion. I mean, I'm, I'm excited about some of the innovations and I, you've seen, you know, technology be very helpful. I think there's still so much potential, but it's like, how do we do it in a way that is making it, you know, a better experience, mm -hmm. safer, yes, more efficient, but also that we're, we're not losing the personal, the personal touch and experience of healthcare. In it. So I was actually working with one clinic. Uh, it was a large one and they had multiple like specialties within side that clinic. And so they were using kiosks to check patients in, but then the biggest complaint that was coming through on their patient um, surveys was the wait times. And, and then the doctors of, uh, they're not here, they're late, we can't find them. And so they actually had like, it looked communal, but they had different waiting areas for each of the patients. Patients yeah. didn't know where to go because the front desk staff used to tell them, go sit in this area, the blue area, right? Or the red area. Um, and so when they were doing it at the kiosk, they didn't know where to go sit. So they'd go sit wherever. Um, so we were actually able then to streamline the technology that when they checked in based on the doctor, it would tell them where to go get seated. Right. So, yeah, yeah. You just got to think through those types of things. And yeah, I think that's, you know, in anything that we do, that feedback loop, right? Like getting the feedback loop from our patients, from our staff, from our physicians, you know, what, what's working, what's not working, what are those things? And then kind of starting to break it down. We're like, okay, well, what if we could do, do this? And, you know, that innovation, I think innovation in healthcare, we often think about it being these like huge scale changes and often it doesn't have to be, it really can be just creating that culture of like, well, what about this? And what about that? And, you know, positive questioning attitude. So I think that's. So I, I just, and I, especially in my compliance role, um, it, but even in an operational role, like the comment that I have made for as long as I can remember is when you only base decisions on revenue, you'll, you'll always make the wrong choices because your decisions can't just be revenue based, obviously to keep our clinics going we have to have that that function. We we have to look at things. How can we make more money? How can we look at those types of things? But it can't just be. It has to be about the whole global, uh, because otherwise you, you you just lose in the end. Um, I was actually working with with um, with a doctor, and uh, I had said to him, "So tell me, like, why are you bringing this patient back and this type of patient?" And he's like, well, because, and so a long time ago, they had gotten advice from a consultant that said, hey, you could bill for this visit. Let's do this. And I said, well, it's a math problem. One, it's just, it's not kosher, right? You just don't want to do it. But two, it becomes a math problem. So do the data. Let's look at the data and figure out how much you actually getting paid for that. Because if we eliminate that visit, you've now got a new consult with testing. And yeah. so when you look at the math, right, it, it, it's a math problem, but not only is it a math problem, it's now you increase patient satisfaction because you're not making them come in more. You're not making them do other things, right? Um, it's that whole global piece of it. And and so that's why, like I said, my favorite doctor, like I go, well, let's talk it through. Um, like, let's look at it from all aspects. I'm all about money. Don't get me wrong, because it, I won't pay just like, just like everybody else does. Uh, but um, it, it, it cannot be the only driver in healthcare. It can't. Oh, and I think it's, you know, um, so I, I was at Mayo Clinic and then at Duke, and then I work with a variety of groups, but um, one of the groups I'm working with now is a, a surgical specialty and they have some competition coming in town. And so they're looking at, you know, the types of patients that might start to, you know, get captured by the rest of the, you know, the other market. 
Um, and, you know, one of the first conversations is like, well, what do you, where, who are those patients that you feel like you can serve best, that your, your surgeons, your physicians really want to focus on and really, you know, driving and let, let's create the experience for those types of patients. Maybe you don't need to take care of every single one, or maybe you take care of the, you know, some other ones in different ways, whether it's more telehealth or, you know, maybe if those are more maintenance, there's different types of providers. You can, you know, just thinking through it, obviously, again, trying to make the sure we're getting the best quality and experience, but, you know, thinking strategically about what are you, how do you best serve that population that you're trying to, and kind of working backwards from there. And I think a lot of times, you know, it's those moments of slowing down and asking those questions that. Um, just like you said, you know, can you help, you know, two or three more patients, you know, really create life changes, you know, for their personal health um, while you're still taking care of your other ones, but just doing that in a more routine, you know, um, routine way. So, yeah. And I love that thought process, Adrian, right? Like, what do you do well? Like, what, what do you do well? And then not only what do you do well, what do we need to do better? Right. Um, so it's not coming up with all of these kind of crazy uh, things that are going to get us in trouble in the long run. Well, let's ship our patients in. Let's offer them transportation. Let's do this. Right. Let's do co-manage. Well, like what? How about let's just provide really good quality of care? Because at the end of the day, that's really what's going to drive your business. Right. Um, if you're not providing good quality of care, your competitor wins every time. And I, I do love some, I think with telehealth, you know, there's lots of opportunities there to continue to expand. And maybe that's some of what happens before the, the, all the new, you know, technology innovation comes, comes our way, but, you know, just thinking like, how do we continue to take care of those patients in different models um, that, cause not every patient wants to drive in, you know, for that routine check, not every patient needs to, you know, what are we really doing to create the the actual value and the, the change? Well, I'd love to just shift gears a little bit. And here, I know that you're you are doing, you know, leadership training, you present a lot and speak. And of course, you know, you're involved with a couple significant organizations that are also very focused on, you know, leadership and just personal development. Like how did you get into the leadership training and coaching space? And what do you, um, you know, what, what really helped you throughout kind of your career journey and what else would you kind of advise current or new leaders to really consider as they're looking to um, enter this, this world that we know is very rewarding, but also can be um, somewhat taxing as we, as we go through. Yeah. So um, for, for me, especially when I got into John Maxwell, um, I actually, that came about at the very beginning of, of COVID. And when I kind of sat back and reflected and said, you know, um, what can I do to make a difference? Uh, very much throughout my career, that, that is what drives me. I, I like to make a difference. Uh, and, and if I ever, if, when I've left an organization, it honestly has always been down to that fact. I felt like I was done or I couldn't make a difference. Uh, and so making a difference is, is extremely important to me. And, and then just trying to make life better for people, uh, you know, through my own struggles uh, in, in life and, and even in early leadership and those types of things. Uh, you know, one of the things that I tried to always do is kind of do self-reflection and so, you know, after you would have a project or uh, an event, like a, something, uh, what could I have done better uh, and, and reflect back on that and then work with my team on, okay, here's where I messed up. Here's what we could have done better. Um, and it started to really build leadership. I'm a huge fan of, of John Maxwell's. Um, he's, he's just a, a great influence. Um, and uh, so I really wanted to 
especially because in compliance, I do need people to follow me and I need to understand them quickly uh, in order to be able to do that. Because if I start off on the wrong foot, it's really hard to gain that momentum or that trust back. And trust is so important in our organizations. So for me, learning more about how people tick um, and what to look for and to be able to pick up on that um, has helped me be able to uh, bridge employees and get and get followers uh, so that I can get them to to include me, right? No one's going, I don't want her at these meetings, uh, right? It, it's to get more inclusive and to get people to have conversations and feel safe and comfortable uh, and getting to know them quickly, especially if I have to deliver audit results. I need to know really quickly how it's going to be most effective with that doctor or who, whoever I'm working with. And so for me, learning about those types of things was extremely important because it's things that I struggled with in the past because we all want to communicate the way it would be work for us. And, and that's not an effective way of communicating with people. And, and so it was really kind of learning about that and delving into it. And, um, and then uh, I've been just having uh, an amazing time uh, being able to coach young leaders um, and, and business women that are, are trying to get into the, to the space, either consulting or just healthcare overall and, and helping them grow as leaders. And it's for me, just a lot of fun to be able to see that growth um, and see them become happy with themselves and satisfied. What's I would say, you know, the only constant in healthcare is change, mm -hmm. but it's one thing that you've seen that basically, you know, pretty much the same as when you started any themes that you continue to see or just experience yourself? Yeah. So um, uh, those of us that work in healthcare, a lot don't, a lot of them don't want to change. Yeah. And it's really intriguing to me because um, I've done so many of the DISC assessments. Uh, and so when you see that, it's like, hmm, okay, now I get it. So a lot of people are driven to healthcare because it does change but it's usually time to change. And so you can anticipate when things are going to change, which makes it a little bit tolerable for those, um, you know, transactional people that, that like that and that are slow to change. Um, I like change. Uh, I like to innovate, right? I like to, uh, so it, it also helps me understand uh, those that don't. <laughs> so I can slow myself down just, just a, a little bit for it. I, there's a lot of change that is coming into healthcare, and the regulations um, aren't gonna, aren't going to lighten up. I was actually on a webinar uh, at the beginning of December with um, with Weedy, and there were several of us that were on there in response to the ONC um, request for information for ICD-11, um, and so. Um, one of my favorite stories to tell about about that whole thing, right? When people are asking me about it, is um, I'll show you a picture of my high school prom with with my then boyfriend, now husband, right? Um, that's when ICD ten was introduced, and then I'll show you a picture of my family with my with my husband, um, who has much less hair, um, and I have much more everything right, <laughs> right? Yeah. so at my daughter's wedding yeah. that's the year it was implemented and so I tell everybody like listen change is going to happen and those types of things um, but one of the questions they asked was you know the providers were so adamant and and were so against ICD-10 
Um, how do we talk about the ROI? There is an ROI for IC for diagnosis coding for a physician. There, there just isn't. Um, however, right, if you can simplify things. And so one of the questions that was asked was, well, how could we get the doctors on board this time? And I said, get rid of managed care. It's that simple. We are so overregulated right now that it's absolutely ludicrous. I just had to fight on behalf of one of my doctors, Adrian, because that was for a managed care organization, so a Medicare Advantage plan, um, because this particular plan also has a healthcare delivery arm. And unlike traditional Medicare, for any non-covered services or statutorily excluded, they want us to fill out a form and get prior approval for a statutorily excluded service. It's cosmetic. Yeah. I should not have to do that, right? Should not have to do it. But not only that, remember, we have the Transparency and Healthcare Act. Mm -hmm. So they're required when they get that prior approval to send a letter to the patient saying, hey, you have benefits or you don't, but also you can get the services cheaper here, 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 and here. And guess what? It's all their locations. Yeah. So they're actually making my doctor have more administrative burdens so that they can sell their services more. That right there is what's wrong with healthcare. Yeah. And so the Medicare Advantage plans, and, and, I, and I said that on, on the, the webinar, right? Like get rid of the Medicare Advantage. There's no benefit to the patient. It's more for them. It delays their health care. There's definitely no benefit to the physician. The only benefit is to the health plans and, and their pockets, right? So, um, you know, I had actively fought them on. And, and, and so it was funny because their quality department was like, we don't send letters. I'm like, for sure you do, because it's, it, it, you have to, it, right? It's a law. It's right. a regulation. Um, so it's just... There's a lot of change like that that's coming that practices need to arm themselves with and need to be aware of so that they can fight it. A health plan should not be allowed to steal business away or use those opportunities as a way to solicit for their own organizations. There's, there should be some type of regulation there. It's well, crazy. I think is where, you know, whether it's MGMA or AAPC or you know, your specialty specific association, I think a lot of times, right. you know, the practice administrators, like, don't try to go it alone. This is where you can't possibly, you can't go it alone. Exactly. Yeah. It alone, and nor can you even understand it on your own and try to, you know, process all the things that are happening. So reach yeah. out to whichever group is most helpful for you. But I think that's just so important to not only see what's coming and ideally be part of the change and getting ahead of it and trying to adjust it if possible. But at least understanding with your physicians what that impact may be, because it's, yeah, agreed. It's just, um, yeah. Um, so for me, right. Like, again, it's, it's getting that following. It's getting the doctors to understand. Um, I need you to make sure that you do these types of things and, and, and really working with them. Um, because I think quality is, is just so important in healthcare. Um, you and I were talking, uh, before this about personal stories and, um, you know, we were just recently impacted, um, by a, a quality of care issue with my, my with my father-in-law. And so, uh, you know, it just really makes you take a step back and um, and reassess and 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 just think things through of, of what does need to change in healthcare. 
Yeah, I think all of us have at least one story, whether it's our immediate family or someone that we know that had an outcome that was not, was less than ideal and less than what should have happened. And whether it was the right patient, the right provider, the right diagnosis, the right care at the right time, like, and I think the more that we can have those conversations, I think, you know, it's not to be punitive. You mentioned like there's a lot more complaints coming through since COVID. And I think people are more, more sensitive and people are also more aware and, and, you know, to some degree more fearful, right? Like we saw a lot of things happen during COVID that were not necessarily any fault of any one of the, you know, healthcare systems or providers. We were all trying to figure out what we could with what we had, but um, I think it's just made patients and consumers that much more um, you know, nervous and anxious, rightfully so, around like understanding what services are available, what care they're going to receive, and that as as leaders, like we have to be attuned to that to understand how can we cle- clearly set expectations, how can we improve those experience and those outcomes as much as possible, and when something does go wrong, actually not only spend the time with our teams to diagnose what could we have done differently, but be able to hopefully you know repair that that trust with the patient to some degree, at least in sharing, you know, what we've learned and what we're going to be able to do differently. I think that's, you know, a lot of us as patients, when we've gone through that, we don't necessarily, you know, expect like remuneration per se, or any of those things, but you want to understand that it's not going to happen to someone else. And that's, yeah, um, I think that's my biggest piece of advice is um, understand the full global picture. Uh, not just the piece that you're the most comfortable with or that you've done in the past, but understand the full global and the impacts to to everyone. Um, so because that's the only way you can make good decisions for the for the business uh, and start to affect change in healthcare. Rhonda, I could talk to you all day. <laughs> what's one what's one piece of advice, um, you know, that as you think about new and current leaders and they're just kind of coming in and and navigating. And we talked early on, like it, we're all so passionate about wanting to make the whole system, our whole organizations, our into higher teams better. But how what advice do you have having navigated your last, you know, 30 years, not only as a leader, but, you know, as a um, association leader and presenter and speaker and coach and all the things, as well as a, a mom and now um, wife and grandmother and all the things, you know, is there anything that you would recommend, um, you know, leaders just really focus on to help them kind of navigate through it personally while they're taking care of everyone else? Yeah, uh, I think uh, all of us as, as leaders and, and what I think I've learned in the past few years is is to be better listeners um, and to, right, to slow down and not have a judgment in our brain already to actually listen and hear what that other person is saying so that we can then, you know, do it. Um, I tell everyone, and I've learned this because I would jump in, I'd have an employee complaint, or I'd have someone say, this always happens to me. And you jump in and you try to save the day and you find out that the data doesn't prove that, right? Um, So uh, I always tell everybody, active listening and data is your backup, because the data is the only thing at the end of the day that you can really rely on and, and make sure that you have. And you can get data a lot of ways. And uh, some of it's through Lean Six Sigma and just timing things and looking at production and, and looking at those types of things. But there's also data that you can pull from your systems and your reports and um, and look at that, that whole global picture of it because uh, it, you need to lead with empathy, uh, and but you need to always have the data. And that's extremely important for us to be able to affect change. 
I love a few things that you said there, you know, listening, you mentioned self-reflection too, and, and slowing down. And I think, you know, even those, and I, and I think doing all of that with both the questioning attitude and, um, but also just with grace, particularly towards ourselves, I think is so, so huge. I think it's easy to feel like we could have, could have done more. And, and sometimes that's true, but often it's often we did all that we could with what we had at that time. And so, yeah. And I should have said that too, right? Sometimes you self-reflect and you go, hmm, there's nothing, right? That's okay. Uh, right. But yeah. That day I gave everything and you know, I was worried about this or worried about that. So I, my mind wasn't a hundred percent, you know, in that moment. And sometimes that's just, we just have to give ourselves permission to, to be that. And same things with our teams, right? Like they're all going through that. And as we talked early on, I think that we bring that that alignment of vision and the, the culture back together where people are really supporting each other and feeling comfortable and, you know, that collaboration and teamwork, it really can help create those conversations, which allow us to talk about what went wrong and how to, how to make it better and diagnosing the problem and so forth. So, oh, well, this was great. Was Thank great you so much for taking yeah. it. was too. And um, we'll make sure to have your contact information in there. And please, if um, you know, if you have questions for Rhonda, please reach out. I know she's a great resource. This is just kind of the tip of the iceberg with what you get with her and, um, you know, both the warmth as well as the, the straight shooter. So I, I love, I love all of that. And um, just thank you so much for taking your time and perhaps we'll have you back again on a future episode, but thank you awesome. so much. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Most physicians don't have the opportunity to learn the business of medicine. What docs don't get taught, Physician Business Training is a course developed by MGMA and administrators from Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. This interactive course provides in-depth physician business training that can drive personal and organizational success. Purchase now for yourself or your organization at physicianbusinesstraining.com and earn eight hours of CME credit. Again, go to physicianbusinesstraining.com to purchase and to learn more.